Ladies. The energy, see essence, you inhale the presence The air in your lung, that's the first step to blessing You're a priest, you're a king on the mountain climbing Are you up, are you down, doesn't matter, take your crown The energy, see essence, you inhale the presence Air in your lungs, that's the first step to blessing You're a priest, you're a king on the mountain climbing Are you up, are you down, doesn't matter, take your crown So you looked in the bucket, you saw a giant mass of crabs They were clawing at each other, slicing, dicing Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're tuned in to Glory Podcast. I'm your host, Monk. Again, all the usuals. Go get my book, Reclaiming the Man, A Rough Guide to Knowing Your Divine Self. You can get that on Amazon. Um, if you listen to the podcast regularly and you have not, stop what you're doing right now. Leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. If that's where you listen, if not, just give us a follow on Spotify. Then real easy free way to promote the show there but also take a picture take a screenshot of the episode you're listening to and just post that on your social media or you'll see that little dot 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 up in the corner if you're listening on a mobile device and hit share link and post that on your social media and just write a quick something about hey really enjoy this podcast and that helps as well. Other than that, thanks for listening. Thank you for your support. We couldn't do it without you, although I probably would go ahead and keep doing it anyway because it's fun for me and I'm selfish. So <laughs> so we're getting into it today. Um, we're going to be talking about accountability, uh, forgiveness, and then um, how to navigate and reconcile with people when they're doing bad things and that's in the context of community, in the context of church community, and in the context of just relationships in general. So we're going to get into it. I do have worked in, um, this is kind of an overarching topic we're going to go into, but I've worked in questions that a couple of listeners have um, sent regarding this topic. So I'm weaving in these topics and these themes in addition to some specific questions I've been asking, and I will list out a couple of those questions as we get going. So uh, first thing, and I've talked about this on previous podcasts, is accountability. Accountability is a good thing, and accountability is is kind of a four-letter word in today's society. And so the problem with it is, is we see this modeled from the top down. We look at our world leaders, leaders of our countries, leaders of our communities, and there is this pass the buck, blame the other guy, point the finger mentality that's coming from the top down that gets played out in the media. And then in some ways, we either get caught up in the tribalism of polarization, siding with this side or with that side, Believing in the false dichotomy that there's only two choices when re the reality is there's a million things in between that activates our tribalism, but yet we don't realize that whether what side we're on, on either side of the ditch, or what well, quote-unquote leader we are pledging our allegiance to, which that's a, another problem in and of itself, we don't really focus on whether or not they are being held accountable or avoiding that accountability. A lot of the finger pointing is all smoke and mirrors to avoid having the skeletons in the closet being found 
out. Again, that's avoiding count of accountability from the top down. And now, you know, I work with the youth in my day job. Um, <clears throat> so my day job, you know, I'm working primarily with people between the ages of 14 and 19. And then outside of that, like I said, most of the listenership here are men that are ages about 18 to 26. And then there's a gap and then you go to men from about 35 to 42 that listen as well. That's kind of the sweet spot of this podcast. And I know there are women and other people that listen to this too, but that's the majority of the audience. But if you look at the youth specifically that I work with is there is this avoidance of accountability. It's like being held accountable. is a bad thing because something's going to be found out. And thing is, is without accountability, you have no standards. And without any standards, there's no room for improvement. You are just floating around out there doing whatever you will, which sounds all well and good. But if your life isn't going very well or you're struggling, right? Great in theory, terrible in practice, kind of like communism, Um. But I want to address that can of worms right now. But we have this thing. This it's a spirit. It's it's obvious. Honestly, I would say it's the spirit of the age we live in right now. That we want access to everything, but we don't want the responsibility that comes with that access, because responsibility then would require the accountability for the misplaced or misled stewardship of that access. And so there what what's happened with our push button culture is we have removed the middling space for journey, for mystery and for process between the object of our desire and the actual process that has come to get it. So a lot of things that men struggle with particularly like pornography um certain addictions, digital addiction, alcohol addiction, substance abuse, you name it. A lot of that has to do with this inability to delay gratification. And if you can't consciously delay gratification at some points, you end up developing a mentality, a crutch, an addiction, something, some type of behavior pattern is really bad for you because the thing that you're receiving without having to go through a process, this access you are allowed to have without having gone through the process of building your character, it's crippling you because you receive that reward, your character, your character hasn't been developed so you actually cannot handle the consequences that come with that reward or that punishment. You know, so we receive the access to all these things. We want the access to all of these things without having to go through the process of knowing how to steward what comes with that access. And then you see this play out not only on the individual level, you see it play out in groups, you see it play out nationally in the United States, you're seeing that right now, and you're seeing it play out globally. Like I said, it's the spirit of the age, and so it goes into that whole, 
um, y'all have heard me quote this before on the podcast, but, you know, it said hard times made hard men, hard men made easy times, easy times made soft men, and soft men made hard times. So we're in this position where our, our daily level of comfort is unprecedented, which is great. That's a blessing. But at some point, now that our daily level of comfort is unprecedented, you have to choose some discomfort. That way you are prepared for situations that are uncomfortable or just in the day in, day out life, you are prepared to delay gratification so you can do things that not only are good for you, but good for the people around you, good for the planet around you, and allow your character to be developed so you grow into the man or woman that God has intended you to be. If you get in that habit of not delaying the gratification, this is where sin issues happen, addictions happen, high-risk behaviors happen. Um, and I have, I've got a ton of episodes. I can just start going through the library, especially any ones that deal with um, emotional and mental health. That's where these things get worked in as well. And you end up living as a false version or a caricature of yourself. And then rather than being held accountable, you dig in and you start to believe in this false image of yourself. And then when you believe in the false image of yourself and you see yourself that way, you start seeing other people in a way that reflects the false image that you see of yourself. And you see a false image of someone else. You can't see them rightly. You see a false image of God. Then you can't hear what God actually has to say about you. So accountability is huge in this. And then there's this fine line of holding someone accountable, holding yourself accountable, and then actually being able to forgive them or forgive yourself. You know, in my case, it's the forgiveness of self that has been a hard one. I'm very, very hard on myself. I hold myself accountable. I hold myself to a, hard, a high standard. But in holding myself to that high standard, when I miss the mark, I beat myself up over it. And then in the process of me beating myself up, I tend to do that to other people unconsciously as an example. And so forgiveness is huge because forgiveness isn't just for you. Forgiveness is well, forgiveness isn't just for the other person. Forgiveness is actually for you, especially when you have an issue with somebody or a group of people or, you know, a, one tip I can give you just going through my own process is if you're not able to feel joy, if you're not able to feel lightness and happiness, you might be struggling with unforgiveness. That was the case in my life. There was some unforgiveness in my life that I had held on to in such a tight little ball deep inside the center of my emotions for so long that I didn't even realize it was there. So that's just a hot tip there. Um, but in that, you know, how do we how do we navigate this fine line between accountability and forgiveness, both for self and for others. And how does this work in the context of community? And that, that was one of the questions I was asked is how can we balance 
this when we're in community, specifically church community, uh, when we have a very strong reason to believe or have even seen a brother or sister who is in sin or in danger of it. Matthew 18 suggests if we have an issue with someone, we should seek reconciliation before even approaching the Lord in worship. So there's a lot of stuff going on in that question. What I um what I will say just off the top of my head, uh, we should seek reconciliation before even approaching the Lord in worship. And that's true because if you're not reconciled with that person, you're not going to be able to hear the voice of God or or see what God is trying to tell you clearly or rightly. That is going to be blocking your ability to receive from God. That's why if it's that big of an issue and I I can say that from experience uh, because I've had issues with people in my life like that and it has affected my ability to like get with God and worship and really see and hear and experience God um, accurately with my so like not having having holding a grudge or holding unforgiveness towards someone else actually affects your ability to see and hear God clearly and then you begin to function out of kind of this muddled version of what and how you're experiencing God. And it goes back to reconciling with that person. Where this gets tricky is that if you didn't reconcile and that person passed away, that's where it gets really tricky. And you need a lot of grace for yourself. You need a lot of time in prayer, just giving that up to the Lord, you know, and there's something powerful in just, you know, this is something I had to do recently with a, with a work situation. I was holding on forgiveness towards a person and I've had to actively pray that I forgive that person until I start experiencing that forgiveness and, you know, saying that person's name out loud in my prayers and giving that to God, saying that person's name and saying, Lord, like help me, please allow me to forgive that person and release that and give it to you on a daily basis until I begin to experience that. And there are ways, you know, you can know that you're experiencing unforgiveness when you're able to laugh about something or laugh towards somebody that has done you wrong. That's usually a sign that that forgiveness has been activated and you don't want to live in the past event either because that's part of what happens with the unforgiveness. So uh, I like what you said there about, you know, you try to seek that reconciliation before you even approach the Lord in worship. But I would say just approach the Lord in prayer, even though, you know, cause your ability to receive is going to be, it's just going to be muddied. And then what you're requesting also gets muddied when you haven't, dealt with that reconciliation. But again, that's Jesus's prayer, the Lord's prayer. Um, you know, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, right? Thy will be done. And then later he plays, um, thy will not mine be done when he's in the garden of Gethsemane about to die. And so that is a prayer that should be constantly on your lips um, that can help navigate situations like that. Um. But if we like believe that someone is in sin or not, 
this is a this is a tricky it's a tricky situation because it d- depends on the depth of the relationship you have with them. It depends on are they even in a place that they would receive that from you? Because there's this whole issue of is it your values that are causing you to see what that person is doing is sin? Are you being the accuser in that scenario? Or do you value the relationship with that person more? Um, and that can be very a very tricky situation to go into. Um, a lot of times, though, we don't have the full story and we have to meet that person with grace. But the question is, like, when do we approach the person, right? When do we approach them? How do we approach them? Most of the time, if they bring it up to you unsolicited, that's probably a good time to address it. Unless it's something that they're doing with, that's like endangering their life or endangering the lives of others, then that's a good measure of like, no, you need to address that situation right now. But a lot of times you don't know what you don't know. And as always... I would say, give it to the Lord. Be like, Lord, I don't know what to do with this situation. Please help me. You might not receive an answer right there, but it tends to work itself out. And there could be, like I said, with a lot of this stuff, there are things you don't know about what's going on with the other person. Sometimes that situation gets reconciled without you ever having to address it just in terms of the way you approach God and what God is doing in that person's life. <clears throat> but you mentioned uh, the question that you mentioned. Now, Matthew 18 suggests if we have an issue with someone, right? We should seek reconciliation before in approaching the Lord in worship. Um, so Matthew 18, we'll get to that in a second. But if we have a strong le- reason or believe we have seen a brother and sister who is in sin or in danger of it, you have to check your own perception at the door, first of all. Like, did you see what you saw? Do you think, right? Because we can't go based upon these things in suspicion because then you're being judgmental. Then you're standing on a religious soapbox and you are in danger what happens in this situation because I've been on both the giving end of this and the receiving end of this. What you're in danger of doing those putting yourself up on the religious soapbox and because you are so concerned with being right or being wrong that you speak to that person or address the issue and then you lose the ability to speak into their life further. And it's a slippery slope, and that's why I say you you have to give it to God. Um, but trying to reconcile, seeking reconciliation can muddle how you see and hear and experience God, right? So there are all these layers to it. But in addressing the Matthew 18 stuff, it's, it's interesting because... We, we tend to misread this passage. So this is part of a bunch of discourses Jesus is giving. You know, so you're referring to Matthew 18 of 15 is where this particular parable starts. But this parable is sandwiched in between a series of discourses 
that Jesus gives, and this is right after he's transfigured. So he's transfigured. They come down from the Mount of Transfiguration, and he runs into this man who has a son who's demon-possessed, and some of the other disciples have stayed back, and this man has been trying to get the disciples to heal his son, and he says, Jesus, bro, like your disciples can't even heal my son. What gives? And Jesus is frustrated with his disciples. He's like, they think they're super apostles, and they can't even heal your son. He'll hear their faith is small. Your faith is big. So because of that, boom, your son is sealed, right? And then they go to Capernaum after that. And then he starts this series of discourses. And so let's look at some of the discourses that happened before we get to the one about you know, forgiving sin and addressing sin issues in someone's life. So there's they're arguing about their rank in the kingdom, and Jesus is like, y'all don't get it. Then he starts talking about stumbling blocks. Then he goes into this parable about the sheep and the shepherd, that how the shepherd would leave the 99 he has with him to go after the one that is lost. And then he goes into this discourse about accountability, forgiveness of sins, and how to address that. And then right after it, he talks more about forgiveness, um, specifically to Peter, talking about, yeah, you need to forgive your brother, 70 times, seven times, you know, basically saying you, you forgive your brother every time, you know, um, but it's important, the ordering and the strategy, because this is, um, a Jewish, this is a Hebraic storytelling technique as they would sandwich things together and riff on the same themes, but in a slightly different way. So the repetition of such would draw out the different meanings. And so there's some direct application we can make from this passage, but this passage is so rich because it's referring to and riffing about a bunch of things. So Jesus one is talking about being a stumbling block about there's, there are no ranks in the kingdom Then he's talking about the shepherd forsaking the 99 that are with him to go after the one that is lost. And then he says in Matthew 18, 15, and if your brother sins, go and reprove him in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. Great. Good times. But if he does not listen to you, take one or two more with you so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. And if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen to even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Truly, I say to you, whatever you shall bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done in heaven. For where two or three have gathered in my name, there I am in their midst. So on the surface, this is about, okay, how do we approach someone who's living in sin? But underneath it, it's not about that at all. It's about actually your agreement on an issue is what sets 
things in motion. And then right before that, he's talking about someone forsaking the, the sheep or forsaking those who are right in front of them who think they have everything right to go after the one that's lost. Right after that, he goes on this discourse with Peter and talks about forgiveness. So this passage is really about forgiveness. And there's a lot of stuff going on there, but the if you verse 16, if he does not listen to you, take one or two or more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every fact may be confirmed, and if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church, and if the if he refuses to listen to even the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax gatherer. Okay, so to them, a Gentile or a tax gatherer, they were unclean. They're not the chosen people of God. They don't get to experience the inheritance, right? That's their mentality. But what has Jesus been doing the whole time he's had this ministry? He's been ministering to Gentiles. He's been eating with tax collectors. There's even a tax collector walking with him right now that's one of his apostles. So his point is, this is how you see people, but in their sin, in their shame, even if you've addressed the issue, he is actually suggesting using contrast here to not break the relationship with them. Even if that person disagrees with you, even if that person disagrees with the church, you do everything you can to maintain the relationship. Now, if that other person breaks the relationship that is on them. And that's what he's saying. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So if you bind unforgiveness over that person, over a technicality, well, three of us got together and they didn't hear us. Then we brought it in front of the church and they still didn't hear us. Well, guess what? So we're, we're casting that person out. We're exiling them because they're unclean, because they won't give this up. Guess what you did? You just bound unforgiveness on that person's head, but you also bound it upon your own head because heaven forbid you were in these, a similar situation where you needed some grace, you needed some mercy, you needed someone to forgive you, right? You, you, you loose all that or you bind all that upon your own head by doing so. What Jesus is referring to actually is an old covenant law. So I'm going to, I'm going to read you what is in the old covenant at this point. And that's what he's referring to. And he's referring to that because his listeners, his disciples would have understood this reference. And the reference is in, um, it's Deuteronomy chapter 19 verses 15. Um, a single witness shall not rise up against a man on account of any iniquity or any sin which he has committed on the evidence of two or three witnesses, a matter shall be confirmed. That's what Jesus is referring to. Hey, go to him in private. If he corrects his ways. Okay, cool. If we're going to bring the, or if we're going to make it a public matter, you need to bring two or three people here to confirm it. Right. Verse 16. This is uh, Deuteronomy 19. Um, if malicious witnesses arise up, against a man and accuse him of wrongdoing. So false witnesses. Then both the men who have dispute shall stand before the Lord, before the priest and the judges 
who will be in office in those days, and the judges shall investigate thoroughly. So the judge in this situation takes the place of the church in Jesus's example. And if the witness is false witness and he has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him just as he is intended to do to his brother. Thus you shall purge the evil out from among you. Oh, okay. So whatever he accuses the person of, if it's a false accusation, the other guy gets to go do the thing he's accusing of to him. That's really healthy. It ought to offend you. It ought to sound kind of sick and twisted because that was the whole point. The law given was not meant. That was not God's intention for mankind. That was what mankind thought they had to do to please God. Verse 19 in chapter 19 of Deuteronomy, or sorry, verse 20, and the rest will hear and be afraid, and you will never again do such an evil thing among you. Thus, you shall not show pity. Life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. You shall not show pity. You shall not show mercy. Does that sound like the God of grace and mercy that we know him to be? No, and this is what Jesus was doing. It was like, hey, you're looking for an out to like accuse people to give yourself a one up or a higher ranking or the fact that you feel like you are more chosen than those around you is what he's telling the disciples in this discourse. He gives this example of, well, bring a wit, you know, address that dude in private. If not, bring two or three with them. If not, bring them to the church. If not, right, okay, then just let him be as one of the Gentiles. But in the thing he just told them about the 99 and 1, the Gentile and the tax collector represents, it's the, the symbol or represents is um, the sheep that G, the shepherd leaves to go find that is lost. The shepherd leaves the 99 there, in this sense, the church that is accusing the brother to try to get their behavior or their sin issue in check. All right, the shepherd leaves them to go after the one. And then he says, again, I say to you that if you two here agree on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by my father who is in heaven. So if we are like, okay, we're going to cast this person out. Don't let them accept forgiveness. Then guess what? You're, you're loosing that over that person, but you're actually loosing that over yourself. And then he says in verse 20 of Matthew 18, 4, um, where two or three have gathered together in my name, there I am in their midst. So if we gather together in his name and proclaim forgiveness over that one, what happens? Right? Who did the shepherd in the, in the verses right before that in Matthew 18, who did the shepherd go after? So there is, you know, what we see is a misapplication of this to some degree because we use it as justification to cast people out. Now, if someone's not going to receive from you, that is on them. But the way I read this is I don't see any reason for you to break the relationship with somebody. And so when we use that to 
as justification for how to address a sin issue in someone's life, it's not as clear cut as we think. We're supposed to love them. Like if you have a sin issue in your life, you probably know about the sin issue. I'm not supposed to point out how bad you are, how bad the thing that you are doing is. I've actually been given the ministry of reconciliation. You can turn to um, 2 Corinthians 5 to read about the ministry of reconciliation. Um, it's not a ministry of condemnation. The old covenant was a ministry of condemnation, right? No one could live and follow those laws directly to a T. You know, even just so you look at how horrific and how gruesome that example we just read about in Deuteronomy 19 was. That's what Jesus was referring back to. Um, no grace, no mercy, no pity. Don't even cry over the person who bared false witness. And so what Jesus is drawing your eye to in Matthew 18 is how do you know you're not bearing false witness against that person? And then how do you know those two or three aren't bearing false witness against that person? Someone who's caught in sin doesn't need to be told about how bad they are and how bad the thing it is they're doing. What needs to be addressed or what needs to be brought up is, hey, brother, hey, sister, like, I'm concerned. Like, what do we need to do to help you? You know, and even then, are they going to hear it or receive it from you? That's another thing to work out. Um, Another comment from this thread, sometimes circumstances don't afford months or years to try to build deep relationship before offering a person some correction or accountability. What do we do? So my, my point, my conti contention is if instead of pointing out your sin issue, instead of pointing out whatever it is that you are doing wrong, whether I know about it or not, what if I seek a relationship with you on a real level, on a raw level? This is what Jesus did. Jesus never pointed out the sins of a bunch of sinners. Actually, the people he pointed out the sins were the ones accusing people of sinning, i.e. the Pharisees, the ones in high places. And in this passage in Matthew 18, his apostles have gone on a couple missionary journeys. They've popped a few miracles. They're starting to feel real good about themselves. And so he starts pointing the finger back at them like, hey, hey, y'all are missing the point. Y'all are missing the point, man. Like, um, this isn't a, y'all are, are turning into the ones that we have been fighting against. And so to speak, you know, the Pharisees, the chosen people of God who think they have it all figured out. Because if humility is not your baseline you get worked into pride and then pride leads to all these other things it damns your vision and it prevents you from being able to love the person right in front of you and so how do we address that it's it's seeking just a real raw relationship with people and it doesn't have to be something that it's formulated in a deep or not a deep way, but in a way that's formulated over years, years, years and months. Like for me, something that really helped me, you know, in a situation I was struggling with was just the fact that I had a couple dudes who barely knew me just reach out and say, hey, we do this thing on Tuesday night. Come hang out with us. And the fact that I was wanted, the fact that 
other people sought out having a relationship with me really helped me get over my own issue. But I think that is the way, not like you going to somebody and say, hey, stop doing that because we're putting the focus and the emphasis on the thing that they're doing. Now, if they come to you and they 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 bring it up then yeah we gotta we gotta um address that but i think in terms of scripturally what you mentioned and just working it out you you said in your question that you were dealing with a sin issue and at one point and you wished that just anyone would have reached out and I would say reaching out, that's the thing, reaching out. Not necessarily reaching out in a way that I'm pointing out what you're doing, but maybe it's reaching out in a way that, okay, I really care about you. Let's hang out. Let's have a coffee. Hey, what's going on with you? Hey, are you okay? Tell me yes, tell me no. Um, if you want to talk about it, cool. If you don't want to talk about it, that's fine. But I'm here if you need anything. And so it's placing, as uh, my buddy Bill Vanderbush said, it's placing value over the relationship than having more value for your relationship with your values, if that makes sense. Because at the end of the day, your values don't actually save you. You know what saves you is Christ and people. And at the same time, like my values could wreck relationships I have with people. Oh, I stood for my values, but okay, I stood for my values, but now I'm not in a position to speak into someone's life because it's stood on my high horse. Doesn't mean I don't have values, but you have to value person and the relationship and who they are above being right. And that is the whole point Jesus is getting to with, you know, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, his own disciples in this discourse in Matthew, the 18th chapter. So that's what I would say to address, you know, that whole thing, you know, how do we hold people accountable? How do we love them where they're at? And then how does this relate to that specific biblical passage in Matthew, the 18th chapter? So I hope that was helpful. Again, um, a lot of similar themes that we've discussed in previous podcasts here. I wove in a couple of specific questions I had, and then I really had a good time exploring Matthew 18 with you. So I like doing stuff like this, y'all. So if you got questions, comments, concerns relating to stuff like that, it gives me something to study and it really allows me to think and reconsider old ideas, revisit old ideas and see things in a new light. So if you got stuff like that, let me know. I'd be happy to get into it with you. Um, But until next time, it's your boy, Monk. Peace and blessings to you from the Most High. I'm out.